The chapter on assurance is probably the most exquisitely and carefully worded chapter in the Confession. What are the truths that make for a, a unified church? Welcome to 1A, a ministry of First Presbyterian Church. This is our Series 3 preview, where Derek and I will discuss what you can expect this fall. I'm Josh Squires, the Minister of Counseling and Congregational Care here at First Press. You're listening to a podcast designed to take a brief but in-depth look at counseling issues from a pastoral perspective. If this is your first time listening, welcome. We appreciate you taking the time to check us out. We hope this ministry is a blessing to you and those around you. For more information, you can visit our webpage, which is firstpresscolumbia.org forward slash 1A. That's firstpresscolumbia.org forward slash 1A. To find out how to contact us or how to subscribe, listen to the end of the show. If you do find this ministry useful, then subscribe using the application of your choice. And every Monday, starting September 12th, a new episode will be waiting for you. Also, while you're there, leave us some comments. As we increase the number of reviews and comments, it becomes easier for others to find our podcast. What has Dr. Thomas been up to this summer? What book has been capturing his attention? What does the confession have to do with daily living? Hear about how the confession played a role in my own conversion. And finally, what topic is Dr. Thomas most looking forward to in covering the confession? If you have any comments, questions, or concerns, please contact us. We'd love to hear your feedback. Now, let's get to our preview. Welcome back, Dr. Thomas. Oh, so I'm Dr. Thomas. Now. Do- Do- so I must have I must have done something really bad. Mm, no, no, no. It's deference I don't and think respect. I've never heard you call me Dr. Thomas. Oh, all the time. Derek, where have you been this summer? It's summertime. Indoors. We live <laughs> we live in the city that calls itself famously hot. And it's hot. It's a That's just propaganda. It's a hundred degrees. I know somebody might be listening in Phoenix, right? But it's it's the humidity, right, Josh? Right, it's the humidity that kills you. It it reduces you to a puddle in about three paces. So where have I been? You know, I've been I've been everywhere, man. Do you remember that song from the nineteen sixties? No, I do not remember that song. Um, I've spoken at the Banner of Truth conference. Yep. <clears throat> You know, when I first, when I was first introduced to the Reformed faith, <clears throat> it was through the Banner of Truth. And it was through Ian Murray and, and folk like that. Um, uh, Dr. DeWitt, mm-hmm. John R. DeWitt, uh, who was on the board of the Banner of Truth for m- many, many years. Uh, and now my best friend, Jose, my best friend, but, Aww, but, so sweet. but my best friend, <laughs> Uh, Mark Johnson, who I've known uh, since um, the late 70s, early mm. 80s. And he now is on the board of the Banner of Truth. And, uh, you know, it's not one of these multi-thousand attending conferences. You know, it's not T4G. Right, it doesn't have um, all the bells and whistles. No, 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 no. Um, it's for the elect. But they do have... The soccer and ice cream evening. Mm. 
Uh, I didn't play the soccer, but I did have the ice cream, <laughs> and uh, that was that was that was good. Is yeah. the soccer like three on two? No, actually, there were there were a whole lot of um, soccer players. It was, mm. I, I I think, although I may be mistaken, with I think it was the Canadians against the Americans, but I may be wrong about that. Mm. Um, I didn't pay much attention to, to the soccer. I have to say that is surprising. Uh, I've also spoken. Ligonier. For Ligonier. It now feels like last year, but I guess I was in Seattle. Yeah. Uh, for the West Coast, uh, conference and, um. And people can find both of those online, but the Banner of Truth yes, and Ligonier. Yes. I mean, you know, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head, but just Google either the Banner of Truth, uh, conferences. And I know that, and, and Ligonier. Yeah. Uh, and I know that they stream them yeah. uh, free of charge, I think. And PCRT? You were PCRT this year as well? I was at two PCRTs this year, correct. Um, I was. I was in Grand Rapids and Philadelphia. I want to tell you about a book that I've been... Uh, it's a brand new book published by Reformation Heritage. This is Joel Beakey, yeah. Puritan Seminary, Reformation Heritage books. Yeah. Um, and they publish a lot of books, uh, maybe one a week mm. uh, at least. And uh, But this is a, a systematic theology from John Brown, not John Brown's body, not that John Brown. John Brown of Haddington in Scotland. Okay. We're talking 18th century. Mm -hmm. We're talking, mm -hmm. you know, and the dates are not in my head, but I'm going to say 1730 to 1795. Okay. I made that up, but, but it's the middle to late part of the 18th century. Okay. So through the Great Awakening, through Edwards, hmm. um, Whitfield, right. Wesley, Second Awakening. Wow emerging yeah uh so that period in in scotland uh and john brown uh wrote and for some reason it has never been published uh wrote a systematic theology huh. it's a it's the beginning of a systematic theology it's and this volume it's quite a large volume hardback again i'm guessing the number of pages but i'm i'm going to say you know 400 pages or so and um, this is on on sort of prolegomena scripture God. So the first <clears throat> the first sort of loci right. of a traditional systematic theology, uh, but really really well worth um, reading. A Calvinist, hmm. um, a preacher, and it and it reads uh, experiential, huh. ex experiential systematic. Theology, yeah, which is which is hard to find. Uh, systematic theologies can be very academic and lack the experiential piece. At, at least today, it seems um, finding someone who can do systematics and make it very experiential and a a applicatory. What do you mean, Josh, when you say experiential? <clears throat> That's a good question. I actually had this conversation. Recently, when someone used the phrase experiential Calvinism, 
Um, which I think what I mean, and after talking about what they mean, is Calvinism that is lived out. That is not just um, theory and high tower academics, but actually then infects the way I live life and empowers me to live more like Jesus and do evangelism, not just comfort myself and, and isolate myself. In the 18th century, it, the term would have been experimental, hmm. uh, which of course means something entirely different now. Um, but the the way in which truth, truth is to be believed, so hmm. truth applies to the mind, hmm. but truth is also to be felt, hmm. to be, to impact the affections. Right. To impact, impact our heart. Hmm. You might say to cause us to fall in love with God. Hmm. Hmm. Um, so truth should bring out in us a love for. Mm. And a felt love for for Christ, mm. um, because this is dominant in Puritan theology, uh, and therefore not surprising that John Brown of Haddington mm. uh, would write a volume that has as its uh, as its emphasis um, the experience of theology. Mm. You know, I think this is actually one of the things that surprised me about Calvin when I read his Institutes. And as I read his commentary, is that it is actually uh, much more warm and pastoral and experimental than than I think I expected it to be, or that it gets a reputation for being before I ever begin to read his work. Right, I'm not sure what the word "warm" means when applied to uh, <laughs> a book of Calvin or right. theology, for that matter. But but I, I and and you certainly don't mean. You know, that every page of Calvin makes you feel good. No. It gives you a kind of warm glow in your heart or something like that. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so so I, I, I tend to stick to the language of experiential. It engages my heart. Yeah. Um, a, a bit like, a bit like the way in which the New Testament or, or Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount calls for wholehearted um, commitment mm. um, unashamed commitment mm. but and but commitment of the whole man mm. to follow the Lord mm. Mm. Uh, and truth is meant to do that. Now this actually dovetails into what we're going to be discussing this fall. Because this fall, we're actually going to be looking at the confession, specifically the Westminster Confession. And as soon as people hear that, and this is a, a counseling podcast, I think the question immediately that's going to jump to mind is, what in the world does the confession have to do with day-to-day living? The confession, the, con- the Westminster Confession, you know, and this is where the Westminster Confession is often contrasted, somewhat unfairly in my opinion, mm. but it's often contrasted with, say, the Heidelberg Catechism or the Belgic uh, Confession, which would be a fairer contrast. Yeah. But but the Shorter Catechism and the Heidelberg Catechism would be con- one being more cerebral and one being more, I, I don't know, experiential. Mm. Um, and I, I hear that and read about that quite a lot, Westminster Confession being the Presbyterian and and 
the British mm. uh, and North American confession yeah. uh, and the the Belgic confession being part of that three forms of unity the so and that having more of a continental Dutch certainly but but continental uh, feel right to it right. Um, you know in our tradition um, we require office bearers deacons and elders to subscribe the confession you and I as ministers of the gospel uh, subscribe that confession I do it uh, in two places every year mm. I do it in one place every year that's at the seminary so mm. every April I sign a a form saying that I, I still believe the Westminster Confession and take no exceptions mm. um, to it uh, but I but I've also done that uh, in my presbytery right in the Catawba Presbytery of the Associate Presbyterian Church. Right. Uh, so it, it happens to be my confession. Now, there is a slight difference. Uh, you know, in Presbyterian traditions, it really is only office bearers who subscribe it. Mm. You don't have to believe the confession to become a member of, of this church, for example. Right. Whereas in the Continental tradition... Every member subscribes the confession. It is their confession. Hmm. It is how their profession of faith takes shape. So instead of, sorry to interrupt, but instead of like the seven membership questions like we would have here that someone would affirm, they would have to affirm the entirety of the document of the three forms of unity. Well, they would, they would certainly have to have some kind of relationship to it. Okay. And, and how much um a com- a communicant at 12 can do that is another story right. but in 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 technicality yes that okay. that is the shape of their profession okay. the problem with our side is that the shape of our pr- profession can often take the form of i ask jesus into my heart and i have a little warm glow there right. when i th- when i think about him yeah but don't ask me to Tell, tell you who Jesus is in terms of his person. Right. Two natures, one person in hypostatic union or anything, anything yeah. of that nature. Um, so I, I believe that whilst members of our church do not subscribe the confession, I, I do believe that they should know it and, yeah. and certainly know about it. Yeah. Um, uh, and it's a useful tool to teach theology so it's a compendium um it is uneven Mm. um it is a 17th century document and there are lots of things about it that that say 17th century Mm. uh it it doesn't say a whole lot about end time issues for example because the uh, divines would not have been on the same page on it um and the background to it, the Westminster Assembly, consists of Presbyterians, Anglicans, um, co- and Congregationalists. Um, so it doesn't have a great deal to say about church government either, su- surprisingly. Um, less than people think that it might do if they hadn't actually read right. it. Uh, so we're going to walk through the confession. Um, it's, it's probably going to take us two years. That's my mm-hmm. plan. So in four semesters, um, fall, spring, fall, spring. Mm-hmm. Uh, so going into 2018. Wow. 
Um, and here you're going to go into maybe more proper lecture in our center point school of theology. So if people want to listen and subscribe to that, they're going to get more of an outline walking through systemically the confession here. We're going to try and pick up pieces that, that maybe we didn't have time to check into. And we're going to try and apply it to our lives bit by bit. What What does that mean as we live out our lives? interesting the confession you mentioned something about you know this warm this prayer and this warm glow and i think that's what christianity was in its totality in my kind of nominal christian background before i became reformed and the confession is really the tool the lord used for my conversion i have a very warm place in my heart for the confession you don't you don't hear about the confession as an evangelism tool most people would not say, go and give that to somebody. Um, but for me, I was in, intensely curious, which does not surprise you one bit, having been my professor multiple times. Um, and someone knew that that curiosity had the ability to be somewhat shaped and satiated by something like the Westminster Confession. I, no one could tell me who God was. It was all, he's just in your heart you know, whatever you feel in your heart. And you tell a 17-year-old boy that whatever is in his heart is God, and it gets you nowhere good quickly. Um, but you put a document like the Westminster Confession in their hand, and you get the second chapter. And the second chapter literally made me weep when I read it the first time. That someone could go about and begin to define the attributes of God and give scriptural backing and in beautiful, I mean, if if technical, yes, but still beautiful language from men who obviously genuinely wrestled with these issues, and it wasn't slapdash, you know. Josh, you're weird. <laughs> I think you're, this, you're you're the only. I th- I think I might have met one other person who was evangelized through the Westminster Confession. Um, and I bet you he's not a counselor. <laughs> <laughs> but that's uh, that's beautiful. Uh, it is a subordinate standard, so I don't want people, you know, making silly comments about you know you should you should obey the Bible, not the confession. Right. The, the question is, what does the Bible teach? Yeah. And once you begin to answer that question in any shape or form, yep. you are giving some kind of confession. Right. This uh, is the no the, creed but Christ. Right. Thought process that has actually led to some right. pretty problematic things out there. All right. What are the truths that that make up Christianity? That's mm-hmm. a part of what the confession is, and then the confession also attempts to address issues a little bit beyond that. What are the truths that make for a, a unified church? Mm. Now, it doesn't answer that question fully, mm. but it begins to answer that question. Yeah. So there are. Truths that I'd say are first of all, but there are also truths that may be second of all mm. Mm. in terms of church synods and right. stuff that it kind of briefly right. alludes to without getting into any specifics and, mm. and, and detail. Um, and of course, for us as, as Presbyterians and, and, um, it, the confession is the most important document next to and subordinate to the scriptures. Uh, One last question. What is the one topic 
in this curriculum that you're most looking forward to teaching? Hmm. I like it all. Hmm. Um, I think that the confession has really, really high points. Hmm. Uh, some of the confession is really not new. Uh, it, it's really rubber stamping uh, the creeds, the, the Nicene Creed and the Chalcedonian Creed. So doctrine of God and doctrine of the person of Christ is nothing new. I, I, th- I think it's just nodding in the direction of Nicaea. And there are people talking outside <laughs> as we're trying to record right. this. Right. And let's hope they're not saying anything um, secretive because it's now going to be broadcast. <laughs> Studio 1A. <laughs> uh, the high points, I mean, the really high points, but it shows itself as being a 17th century document when it does this, right. is it the law, mm. um, the chapter on assurance. Mm. Uh, the chapter on assurance is probably the most exquisitely and carefully worded chapter in the, <clears throat> in the confession. Uh, because assurance was a big deal mm. in the 17th century. Um, but it also is today. So issues of law and gospel and so on. And the confession deals with that. Um, yeah, those are, those would be my two favorite chapters. Law and assurance. You've been listening to 1A a counseling ministry of First Presbyterian Church. We encourage you to listen to all our episodes, which you can find on our webpage, which is firstpreszcolumbia.org forward slash 1A. That's firstpreszcolumbia.org forward slash 1A. You can also check us out on all your favorite podcasting applications, such as iTunes, SoundCloud, Sermon Audio, and Stitcher. If you like what you've heard, then subscribe. Also, don't forget to tell your friends and family about us as well. If you have comments, questions, or issues you'd like us to wrestle with, contact us. You can reach us at our email address, which is 1A at firstpresscolumbia.org. That's 1A at firstpresscolumbia.org. Or via our Twitter account, which is at 1A Podcast. That's at 1A Podcast. Or by phone, which is 803-281-1795. That's 803-281-1795. For Dr. Thomas, I'm Josh Squires. We look forward to seeing you in the fall. Until then, thanks for listening, and God bless.